such a powerful scene. Uh, well, hey, uh, we are diving into week three of a series that we've been in called uh, Learning to Fight Back. And um, so we, we started out with just the simple idea that um, when the children of Israel were looking on, on the land and the fact that, that they needed to possess the land that God had given them, God said, um, you need to clear the land, you need to possess it, and then you need to drive them out. And last week we talked about what it looked like for us to clear the land, not so much focus on the enemy, but focus on ourselves and allowing God to show us who we are. And that's a, that's a lifelong journey. We didn't, we didn't learn that and accomplish it last week, but hopefully we all are learning some, some more tools in our tool belt to become who God's created us to be. That, that's step one. And step two, we talked about possessing the land. And we're going to take a look at this incredible story of Moses because in this idea of possessing the land, it's, it's the concept that, you know, once you, once you kind of have agreed that like, okay, this is my land and I've cleared it, now it's a whole nother journey to go, no, this is now my new normal. This is who I am. This is how I think. This is how I walk. This is how I act because I'm brand new. And that comes with a whole new set of challenges um, that we're going to dive into but uh, before we get there, I just want to read the account that we just watched, um, which I'm going to start, if you're following along, in Exodus. It'll be up on the screen, Exodus chapter 3. We're going to kind of jump around. We're going to tell the whole story in a synopsis, and we're going to start in verse 7 of chapter 3. It says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of Egypt, and to bring them out from the land to a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 10, Come now, therefore I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And verse 11, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And he said, I will certainly be with you. 13, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, Who is this guy? What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I'll skip over in chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose... They will not believe me or listen to my voice. That's an important one. Underline that, the word voice. Suppose they say that the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is it in your hand? And God begins to reveal how he will use Moses to reveal his wonders in his, the rod and his hand uh, in, in, in his uh, bosom that comes out leprous and then the, the river becoming blood. Verse 10, Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you've been speaking to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes the mute and the deaf and the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with you, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what to say. And verse 13, But Moses said, Oh, my Lord, Please send someone else. So the anger of the Lord kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? 
I know that he can speak well. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. Father God, I, I want to lift up your word today. And Father, we ask specifically that you would speak to us through your living and active word. Holy Spirit, we ask in this next few moments that you would open up our eyes to see something new. You would open up our mind to understand a heavenly reality that you would open up our heart to receive deep within us a new reality of who you are and what you're calling us to. Expose those things that have been standing in the way and yet have no authority. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I've mentioned this before, but um, when, as um, Heather and I moved into our first house in San Antonio, Texas, when we were in our 20s, um, you know, we bought a small little place and, you know, we were super excited about our brand new house. It wasn't anything special. We didn't, you know, it wasn't very expensive, but we were excited. And I remember, because I'm kind of a dreamer, I remember having a lot of plans for this house. And, um, and, and most of them were, were cosmetic because I'm not a fixer-upper guy, but like I'm kind of a visual guy, and so I could visualize some things. And so, you know, looking at the house, there was this huge, like grossly overgrown hedge on the left. And so I kind of had envisioned our front yard, you know, the hedge getting cut down and put up a nice fence. And then in the backyard, I envisioned like a big deck, putting a big deck out. And then on the inside, we were going to like paint the cabinets, which ended up being a train wreck. But we were going to paint the cabinets in the kitchen. And then, uh, and then we were going to do like a chair rail, which I don't know who does chair rail anymore, but we thought it was cool back, back then. So we did like a chair rail in the living room and painted. And we just like... For the budget we had and the skills we had, we did our very best in our first house, right? And it was super cool, and we did these things right away. We pretty much spent like the money, that, the extra money we had on the cosmetics of the house, and we were feeling pretty good about it. It looked like way better than it did before. I had a fence, and like there was a deck in the back. And all of a sudden, non-cosmetic things started to break, so it started with our nicely newly painted cabinets. Behind those cabinets, there was a rat infestation. And so uh, literally our, our food was getting munched inside the, like the, the closet. Mom remembers this. Like, I mean, food was falling out of the cereal boxes. I mean, it was like rats were all in our business, right? So we had a whole company come out like, okay, it was like 500 bucks or something. Get rid of the rats. So then the next thing is we had a, uh, a flood in our front yard because somewhere between the city pipe and our house, something broke. Now, of course, at least in San Antonio, the city doesn't take care of that. So I'm literally out there digging for this. I mean, the whole yard's flooded with water. I'm out there digging, trying to find the broken pipe. We got that fixed. Lastly, so it was like a, a house, like a little loft. So I'm upstairs in the loft going to the bathroom. It was only a two-bedroom house, a two-bathroom house. One bathroom was like our master bedroom, and then there was a half bath upstairs. So that was kind of my bathroom upstairs, because it was just the two of us. Obviously, we didn't have kids. So I'm, I'm taking care of business upstairs in the loft, and I hear this screaming downstairs. Stop going to the bathroom! And I'm like, what? Who says that, right? I'm in the middle of, you know, 
She's like, stop going to the bathroom, right? So I crack open the door. What? It's coming up in the tub. What's coming? It's coming up in the master bedroom tub. And it was started to bubble up as like sludge. Aren't you glad you came to church today? You're instantly feeling better about your house. Okay. What we realized is this. There was a reason why the, the house was not very expensive. And so we had spent all of our money making the outside of this house look amazing, and the guts of it were like literally disintegrating as we speak. We had bees in the walls of our houses. How is that even possible? How do you have a beehive in the walls of your house? Anyways, I'm not going to go on because I'm going to start getting all worked up. But the point is, our first house was a train wreck, but it wasn't anything you could see on the surface. It was what was underneath. And I think that oftentimes as Christians, we get all excited about our new identity. And not that it's a facelift, because we know it's an inner powerful work. But we get all excited, and Jesus actually tells a parable about this, about the seed and the sower. And he talks about the different soil that the seed lands on. And one of the soil, one of the seeds, it lands on shallow ground. And the shallow ground, there's immediate results. That seed comes, boom, bursting through the surface, and you have a flower or whatever you planted, and it's amazing. Unfortunately, it doesn't last because it's shallow. The, 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 so the good soil doesn't go deep enough for anything to take root. And the minute something negative takes place in your life, the minute you hit any kind of opposition, boom, that seed is gone. And so when we look at this fight that we're in, right? The first is our identity, and it's just clearing the land. But the next one as we move in is let, we want to learn how to take possession of our new identity. It's not just a badge you wear. It's not just a scripture you know. It is who you are, and we're going to fight back those things underneath the surface that want to keep us just putting a nice paint, uh, you know, coat of paint on the, on the house that's literally disintegrating on the inside. And unfortunately for you and me, there are things underneath the surface that have, been, that have been running in the background for a long, long time, and you don't even know they're there. Why? Because you're just used to the noise, right? I mean, I don't know if you've ever like, had you know, something playing, like a radio playing in the background, but it's so low that you don't even recognize it's there, and that's what takes place when it comes to our identity, and that's often why we fail to get the actual um, results and movement forward that we want to get is because we're claiming something, we're claiming our new identity, we're getting excited about it, and yet there's something under the surface that, we, that has to be uprooted in order for, for that seed to really take root. So we're going to do some business today. Come on. You're not renting, you're owning. And what I love about owning is when you own something, it's like immediately the, 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 um, the wheels start spinning. Like, what am I going to do now? What can I do? How can I remodel this thing? How can I make this thing awesome? If you're renting, it's like, you don't even want to paint. It's like, it's a rental, right? Like, I don't, I don't want to spend time, energy. I'm certainly not going to spend my money on somebody else's place, right? But when it's yours, all right, now you're like, I'm going to take that wall down. I'm definitely going to paint. Like whatever money and resources I have to make my place better, that's what I'm going to do. And that's how we know, need to look at our lives. Like we're not renting. This is, we, we own this thing. 
And, and this, is, this is what God has paid for in full, so you don't even have a mortgage on this thing. It's paid for. And so, and so we get to come in and we get to remodel from the inside out. So a stronghold, we're going to talk about this idea of a stronghold because these are the things under the surface that have to be uprooted for that seed, your identity, to take root and become who you are even in the hard times. When the winds and the waves come, which they will, when they come, your life is rooted right? Not just in a passage of scripture and a church you attend. It's rooted in identity because you've taken possession of this thing, right? And so a stronghold is a lie crafted in the pit of hell to keep you defeated. And so I want to I wanna unpack this word stronghold a little bit because the Bible talks about it and it talks about it in, in, in terms of us aggressively going after this thing because he's given us power and tools to do so. But a strong, we can't just stop it while it's a lie. So we've been lied to and we've got to figure out the lies and let's expose them and get in the truth in there. That, that yes, but it's unfortunately much more complicated than that. So we're going to unpack it a little bit. And I want to start by saying that in the Bible times, a stronghold had three parts. Because a stronghold was, a, was an actual thing. It was a, it, was a, it was a fortified city, a stronghold. And so the first thing it had, it had three things. It had walls around it. It had towers in the middle of it. And then people that would man it, captains that would man it, that would take, bring messages, especially to the tower, because the tower was looking out, so there was a lot of communication going back and forth. And so I want to articulate these things, three things as we see in Second Chronic, uh, Corinthians and how God describes these weapons that he's given us to uproot these things that are keeping us from having full victory in our life. And so I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. And it says, The weapons of our warfare, these weapons that God's given us, they're not of the flesh, but they're mighty in God. Let's stop and pause for a second, and let's just own the fact that these weapons are mighty in God. This is not lame weapons. This is not like, I hope it works. This is powerful stuff. The most powerful thing, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, and He's given you weapons and powerful, powerful armor to defeat specific things. Specific things. It's not general like, oh, you can defeat the enemy. It says that these weapons are mighty in God for this purpose. Pulling down strongholds. Casting down imaginations. And bringing every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. It, the, see the dot, dot, dot? For the sake of sitting on a slide, I didn't put it all in there. But it continues to say, and any high thing that exalts itself above the name of of God, imaginations and high things. And we're going we're gonna to like get into that because it's so relevant on where we're going today. And so go back to the, um, to, to the walls and the towers and the captains. So, so as we look at this, the walls represent the lies. As, essentially, that is the stronghold. Without walls, you don't have a stronghold. Like that, that, that is the root of this thing, is the lies that the enemy creates in your life to keep you bound, to keep you in an alternate reality and we're going to dive into that the next thing is the towers in the middle of this stronghold again without the walls it's not a stronghold it's just it's just a tower or it's just people but when it's surrounded by a wall and you have a tower in the middle of it it represents 
what we're calling an exaggeration, an imagination, a high thing. And lastly, the captains are the thoughts. The thoughts that, that run this stronghold. Without the thoughts, you just have brick on brick. But with those captains, you actually have a functioning stronghold. And so it's a lie, it's an exaggeration, and it's a rogue thought life. Oh, we're preaching today. I'm giving you some good stuff. I'm giving me some good stuff. I'm telling you, I'm getting free in my life through this thing. It's a lie. It's an exaggeration. And it's a rogue thought life. That is a stronghold. And without all three, it's just a lie. Or it's just a, 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 a imagination or a high thing. Or it's just thoughts in your mind. But all, you put all three things together, and I'm telling you, unchecked, they will keep you stuck. It becomes a glass ceiling in your life, and everybody else sees it. But you don't. So we're going to dive into the first thing. The first thing is wall. A wall is a lie disguised as a truth. A lie disguised as a truth. And I love this going back to the story with Moses. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? We're using Moses as a test case. What was the lie? I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. I can't do it. No one here relates with that, but Moses sure does. This is the lie, right? We see it right out of the gate. That's the lie. Unfortunately for Moses, it goes much deeper than that. But we're going to start with the lie. Um, This is the foundation of any stronghold. Like I said, the root or the weed. The walls of a stronghold are not new lies. It's not like you go out of the door today and all of a sudden you get hit with a thought. That's not a stronghold. That's, That's fiery darts of the enemy. What we're talking about is much deeper than that. So the walls of a stronghold are not new lies. They are hiding in plain sight, posing as your truth. So you would never recognize these things as a lie. They're your truth. They're your reality. This is the enemy playing the long game in your life. And he's really good at the long game because unfortunately he's been around for a long time and he's super patient. So he's playing a long game. He's playing a long con, if you will, in your life. It's a demonic attack on your life built brick by brick. And I promise you, for you and me, the first brick was laid in your life a long time ago. Probably when you were little. You would probably have to think really, really hard with with the, the, the moving of the Holy Spirit to even identify what that first brick was in this long con that the enemy's been building in your life to get you to to today accepting a reality that's your truth, but it's actually a lie. It's actually a wall that's created a stronghold in our life. I want to read just a few. And uh, don't raise your hand if you can identify with any of these. (laughs) I can't trust anyone because if I do, they will just hurt me. My past is too horrible, so I don't deserve to be loved. 
if they really knew me, they wouldn't still love me. So I'll keep pretending. I will never get ahead financially. So I will just make do and keep going into debt. I can never seem to live up to their expectations. Sometimes I just want to throw my hands in the air and give up. I will never break free from this addiction. I know it's destroying my life, but I am not strong enough. No one truly cares about me. And that's why I feel so alone. It will always be like this. I'm convinced I'm ugly and the mirror and scale only confirm it. I don't know what will happen if I let go, so I will just stay in control. Okay, let's pray. Listen, you guys, all of us, if we're honest, could raise our hand to at least two of those. (laughs) So you are in good company. The good news is, these things are not true. The bad news is, most of us, it's going to take much more than just hearing it's not true to believe on the inside it's not true and live a lifestyle that reflects it's not true. So we're going to uproot it. Let's go. My lie, well, I should say this, the lie that has been exposed by the Holy Spirit in me up to this point, there there are others, I'm a work in progress, but the one that I have overcome is the lie that I accepted that I am not senior pastor material. And, um, it's interesting because I knew when I was 12 years old that I was called to ministry. Now, as a 12-year-old, I mean, Pastor Cesar over here, you were a youth pastor, uh, associate pastor at the church we were at, and, you know, one of my heroes, and I had a couple of different youth pastors and pastors in my life that I looked to as great examples, but I wouldn't have been able to articulate when I was 12, like, exactly what I'm called to, but I knew I was called to ministry. But shortly thereafter, like, into my high school years, I knew now, I'm called to be a pastor, but somewhere along the way, before I graduated high school, I had determined that I'm not going to be a senior pastor. And in my effort to survive, we all do this, in my effort to survive, I had justified it and almost spiritualized it. I'm not called to be a senior pastor. And therefore, I'm called to be something else. And so I started articulating, maybe I'm called to be a lifelong youth pastor, and, and maybe that's a good thing. There's not enough of those. This was the lie that I bought into, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain more later on about how it went deeper. But that was, the, that was the seed. You're not senior pastor material. So the enemy was saying, I'm okay with you going into ministry, but I'm going to put a glass ceiling on your life. And unless you expose it and uproot that thing, it will literally keep you from doing the very thing God's called you to do. But here's the thing. 
A lie is like a candle. It needs oxygen to survive. In order for a lie to stay active and working in your life, it seeks affirmation. It must have a way to justify its existence. So it's constantly trying to feed itself so that it remains secure. Wherever there is a deeply rooted lie, you will find a tower of exaggeration. This is the oxygen for the lie. The tower of exaggeration. Moses said to the Lord, I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. What was the lie? The lie had nothing to do with Moses' ability to communicate. The lie was, I am not worthy. I am not enough. There's no way you have picked the wrong guy to do this assignment. Let's just say that out front. But then you can see in this this epic conversation with Moses and God how the conversation gets more and more dysfunctional. It starts out by, by, by saying what anyone would say. Who am I, God? Right? Who am I? I mean, we, we've said that to God millions of times. Like God's asking us to do something or giving us a feeling that maybe we're called to something more than just a mundane life. And we're like, really? Really? You're calling me? I don't know about that. But then it moves from that. And as the speech continues, you can hear it. You can hear it in Moses' language. Because he starts referring to things like, in verse 4, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, Then Moses answered and said to them, Suppose that they will not believe me or listen to my voice. So let me get this straight. God just revealed himself to you in a burning bush in the middle of nowhere. And, and you hear an audible voice from heaven. You've just taken your sandals off and you're having this epic moment. Oh, and then this burning bush, this God is telling you to single-handedly go take down, go take down the most powerful empire known to man at that time, the Egyptian army and Pharaoh. I need you to go back there and I need you to take them down. And Moses' response is, I'm not that good of a public speaker. Like, what are we talking about? Like, how is that even relevant to what we're talking about? But again, it's the exaggeration of the lie that starts to become an imagination. It starts to become larger than life. I'm telling you guys, this is the sweet sauce of the enemy's attack. He loves to create a lie that honestly has some truth in it, right? Like, I'm not, who am I? Like, there's, that's valid. Moses, I'll give you that, right? Who am I? Who are you to do that? I get it. Totally valid. But then he takes it a step further, and the enemy starts to make things larger than life in your life that should never be that big. Case in point, so the 10 spies go into the promised land, right? This is after they've been only uh, traveling through the desert for 40 days, right? We know they were there for 40 years, but before the 40 years, they had an opportunity to get out in 40 days, right? It's like a prison sentence. 40 years or 40 days? Let me think about it. Okay, 40 days, they come up to the promised land, they send spies in, and all they needed to do is come back and go, the land's amazing, there's some warriors there, but God's on our side, let's go. 
and it would have ended their prison sentence. But 10 guys came back, and you know what they said? Super interesting. We saw Nephilim in the land, and we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes revealing how they saw about themselves. But the interesting thing about the Nephilim is that that is actually a, a hybrid between an angel and a person having a baby and, and, and creating a monster. They died in the flood, right? So yeah, there were people that were bigger, like Goliath, but he wasn't a Nephilim. He wasn't a demonic being, right? But in their eyes, they went in so defeated that they saw things and said, you know what? It was a demonic giant. It was like a, it was like a transformer. It was like Megalodon. It was crazy, right? In their mind, it got so big because there was a lie. We, we don't belong here. In fact, we belong back in Egypt because we're slaves. That was the lie. And we saw that repeat over and over and again. But the imagination, the high thing, the tower ended up magnifying something and showing them something that wasn't even there. A tower is an exact is it a tower of exaggeration is a truth that has been exalted. The weapons of our warfare are mighty in God to pull down strongholds, tear down the walls, the lies, and cast down imaginations, exaggerated high things that exalt themselves above the knowledge of God. You have to understand that as a part of the thing that's keeping you back is an exalted thing. My preaching ability, that was my exalted thing. And I don't know if I got that from Moses or what, but um, I, I came to a place where I, when I was in ministry school, my youth pastor, many of you know him, Tim Wimberly, he asked me a pointed question. And I'll never forget it. I was 20 years old. He asked me a pointed question. He said, Shane... I've heard you say you're not called to be a senior pastor. And again, this wasn't me accepting defeat. This was me claiming a reality. I'm not called to be a senior pastor. And he asked me why. And I go, God hasn't given me the gift of communication at that level. And I, I remember justifying that comment so that it didn't sound defeated. I don't, it didn't sound defeated. It's like, I'm not accepting a lie. That's just my reality. That's just who I am. God has not called me to that because he hasn't given me these skills. So leave me alone. And I went on a journey, you guys, for the next 10 years. I doubled down on that exalted thing. You know what happened to Moses? God got so frustrated with him because he knew, Moses, if you double down on this exaggerated, exalted thing, What's going to happen is you're going to have to bring in somebody else. His name is Aaron. Do you know what Moses' thorn in the side was for 40 years? Aaron. He was a coward. You know that golden image that they created? Yeah, that was Aaron. You know the complaining that took place over and over again? 
Yeah, Aaron was the ringleader of that. What, it all came from this high thing. I'm not, I'm not good enough, and now I can't speak well enough. And for me personally, that thing had to be broken in me. And I wrote this down. This is super powerful. Only God can never be exaggerated when he's exalted. Only God could never be exaggerated when he is exalted. You know these exalted high things, right? You can exaggerate fear. You can exaggerate sickness. You can exaggerate your circumstances, your weakness, but you can never exaggerate the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the, 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 the mercy and long-suffering of the God. So in the, at the end of the day, how you bring down a high thing is you exalt the right thing. Listen, in the middle of our struggles, listen, exaggeration has some truth in it, right? I had to learn how to communicate. My first communicating gig was a, was a school, uh, was a school like um, little chapel thing. And I spoke for 10 minutes and I froze up. It was like a 30-minute talk. I spoke for 10 minutes. I froze up. I literally closed my Bible and I said, I think that's it because I don't have anything else. I had way more to say, but I couldn't remember anything. I totally blanked out and I walked off the stage. It was the most humiliating thing I've ever experienced. Unfortunately, that's not the last time that's happened. There was some truth to the fact that I needed some help in my communication. And to this day, I fight that giant. To this day, I have to face that thing like last night when I'm looking at my notes and I'm like, I don't know. I don't think I can get through all of this. I don't, I, I'm going to bumble around. I'm going to look at my notes. I'm going to black out. I remember that day when I sat on that stage. I looked at those faces looking at me to give them something and I blacked out and I got nothing. I don't have the gift of gab. If I don't have something to say, I don't have something to say. Right? You get Dan Jordan up here. Good Lord, the guy could just talk forever. And we're like, right, right. And you could tell a joke and we're like, oh my gosh, that's not me. Like if you ever hang out with me, I'm not going to be the guy that's going to talk the most. Unless I'm excited about something. <laughs> but, but I had to face that giant because it was an exalted thing in my life. Philippians chapter 2 verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name, that it, the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Listen, I refuse to dwell on my problems. How about you? If you dwell on your problems, you will exalt them. And they will become a highly exalted thing. There is truth to your problems. Right? Maybe there's a financial dilemma. Listen, it's not imagined. I get that, right? A lot of the things we face, some preachers, they preach just kind of like, well, just talk it away, right? And just like, let's just live in a different reality. No, we got to live on planet Earth. And today, these are the things that I face. Let's face those things, but let's not exalt them. There is one person that we exalt. We highly exalt him. We highly exaggerate him because he could never be exaggerated. And when you do that, what happens is those problems that were so big and lofty have their proper place in your life. They have no power over you. When I choose to exalt God, then my problem becomes accurate in size and takes its proper place. I refuse to do all my problems. For when I do, I begin to worship it and exalt it, and it becomes a high, exaggerated thing in my life. 
And so when we're talking about our identity and we're bumping up against stuff, we have to be honest with the fact that deep within there, there is a rooted lie and that lie is seeking oxygen. And so the best way to find where that hidden lie is, what's exaggerated in your life and what's consistently exaggerated in your life. If fear, again, I'm just hypothetical, if fear is consistently exaggerated in your life, at the root of that exaggerated fear, I promise you there's a stronghold there. Where's that coming from? Where's that anxiety coming from? Finances. The way you look at your finances. It's just like, I can't see past. And then, and then, and then you have such a hard time managing. Like, like the finances just seems like always. Again, we all go through seasons. What I'm talking about, look over the course of your life. We all have these things where we always go back to this. And this becomes a highly exalted, exaggerated thing in my life. At the root of that is the enemy's long con in your life. And God has given us the power to uproot that puppy and say, no, I'm taking possession of my new land. And in my new land, I'm not stuck. I'm not defeated. I'm not helpless. I am a, the victor. I am the, uh, the righteousness of God. I have confidence. I have boldness. And God's called me to blessing. That doesn't mean I ignore my problems, but they're certainly not going to be exalted. Not on my watch. The last thing is captain. So there's a wall, there's a lie, there's a rooted lie, and it's a simple lie. It's very basic. And then in the middle of that, there's something that just this all of a sudden becomes exaggerated. Ask your friends. I mean, if you really want to go on a journey, ask people, hey, will you be honest with me? Right? Will you be honest with me? Is there, is there areas in my life that where I kind of, where something seems inflamed? Like, you know, it's like you kind of go off the edge on this topic a lot. This is great intel, right? Because once it's exposed, it doesn't have any power. It's, 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 it's lifeless. Once you put light on it and you see it for what it is, no, I'm not going to be defeated. And the last one is a captain. And this one, like I said, the stronghold is just bricks on bricks without people to run it. And these represent our thoughts. This is where the game is won and lost. And this is the day-to-day. The stronghold, the lie was planted a long time ago. And then every once in a while, that same thing gets exalted. But now we're talking about the day-to-day thoughts that run that puppy. It's what you do tomorrow morning that run that thing. It's like you got little, little people and they're literally running, keeping this thing alive. Going, I wrote this down because I recently went. Going to the dentist for a cleaning doesn't do a lot if you're not brushing your teeth. It was just a little piece of wisdom. If, 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 if we're just going to attack this thing on the big stuff and we're going to identify lies and we're going to claim the truth and we're going to like puff ourselves up, but then tomorrow morning and the next morning and tomorrow night when you're going to bed, you're lying awake at night, if you're not doing the work, right? That's like the day-to-day brushing your teeth. If you're not doing the work, you're not going to see results. You may avoid like crashing into a mountain, but you're not going to get the kind of results that you want in terms of building your own identity. Your thought life is so powerful. It's way more powerful than going to the dentist once a year. 
It's what you do every day. Maybe you even do it twice a day. Your thoughts are captives, not friends. The weapons of our warfare are mighty in God, pulling down those strongholds, casting down those imaginations and high things, and bringing every thought captive. They're not your friends. They're not working for you. They're captives. If you make them, we must learn to train, not trust our thoughts. Bowing to Jesus, being obedient to Jesus. Have you ever thought about your thought life? Like, no, I actually need my thoughts to be obedient to Jesus. Like, we talk about our actions and all that kind of stuff, right? Our behavior, but our thoughts, they actually need to be obedient to Christ. And when I'm talking about thoughts, like, I'm talking about the, the, the way that we view our future, the way that we view our spouse, the way that we view our finances. I'm not just talking about the self, self-deprecating stuff. I'm not just talking about like the lustful bad thoughts. I'm talking about the way you see you. I'm talking about what you think when you look in the mirror. How you view yourself and the way that you think, they have to be in a line with what Jesus says. It's so powerful. Thoughts, I don't work for you. You work for me. I'm not, I, I'm not uh, uh, surrendered to my thoughts. I'm not defeated to my thoughts. They work for me. I'm going to teach you how to think, what to meditate on, what to focus on, and who we will trust. So let's go back. Come on, let's go back to the strongholds. And let's just read through this. And let's begin to train our thoughts. This is how we're going to think. This is how we're going to think. I can't trust anyone because they'll just hurt me. You know what? God holds my heart. I am secure in him. And I'm going to begin to believe the best in people. My past is too horrible, so I don't deserve to be loved. I am a blood-bought saint, child of the living God, and all that I have done and all that I do, will do, is completely washed in the blood of Jesus, and I am fully loved and fully secure. So thoughts, that's what it looks like to be obedient to Christ. That's what it looks like. Now, they're not always going to obey you the first time, right? It's like a, it's like a disobedient dog, right? You just got to whoop them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you got to work with them, right? You got to work with them. Every day, you got to work with them. No, this is how we do it. This is what we're doing. This is how we think, not just because it's some like self-help mumbo jumbo. It's you have to bow to the name of Jesus. You have to submit to Christ thoughts. This is what you're going to do. So you're going to start working for me. I don't work for you, and you don't get to just do whatever you want, and you don't get to tell me my reality based on how you're feeling in the morning. This is what we're going to do today, and so I will never get ahead financially. Listen, that's not a godly thought. Christ did not die so that you could be buried. Now, it's going to require you to make some good choices. 
So how, what am I going to say? I'm going to say thoughts. We're going to start thinking about Dave Ramsey. No. Um, listen, I may face a mountain today, but you are my provider, number one. Jesus is my provider. And number two, you are going to give me a way out of this. And so that's how I choose to believe. God, give me the wisdom. Surround me with people that make good choices, but I refuse to be the person that's bound to debt. So I unshackle myself in Jesus' name. I don't think like that anymore. I'm not somebody that's always going to be stuck. Here's the thing. If you're telling yourself you're always going to be stuck, then you're stuck. I'm not always going to be stuck. Maybe Maybe I'm facing something today, but this mountain won't always be there. That's the way to train your mind. This mountain won't always be there. I will never break free from this addiction. I am more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens me. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of me. And so unless Jesus couldn't overcome this, then I certainly can because he's inside of me. So I'm going to overcome this. And the next time it happens, you don't, tell, you don't allow your thoughts to say, see, you tried to overcome it, but you've just proved that you can't. So let's build, let's build a monument called a high thing right here and exaggerate this thing so it will never be overcome. That's what the enemy wants. And you tear that thing down and say, no, that's not who I am. It may be something I did yesterday, but it's not who I am. We're training our thoughts. No one truly cares about me. Thoughts, that's not true. Look around. Thoughts, Because there's a lot of people that care about me. And I refuse to be alone because God said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm likable. I'm good looking. People want to be my friend. (laughs) I'm convinced that I'm ugly. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Again, this is just applying spiritual truths and commanding your thoughts to obey Christ. That's what we do. Thoughts, you're going to obey Christ. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I ain't got to change nothing about who I am because God created me just as I am and I am the best person that he ever made version of me. I'm the best version he ever made. He's never made a better version of me. I don't know what will happen if I let go, so I will just stay in control. I thank you, God, that control is an illusion. I will never be in control, but I can trust the one that is. And so today, thoughts, we're going to choose to believe and trust in the one that is in control, Jesus. I acknowledge that I was not born with the gift of public speaking, but God will always equip those whom he called. And so I say today, by the grace of God, I am called and I am equipped and I'm in need of a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit every day. This is my confession. What's yours? What's your confession? As we uproot these strongholds in our life. Father God, I thank you that you are doing an incredible work in your people. God, I thank you, Jesus, that this is not just self-help. God, I thank you that we're not just slapping a few scriptures on stuff. But God, you're changing us from the inside out. And Holy Spirit, I ask 
that you would identify those places maybe a long time ago where a brick was laid on top of another brick, on top of another brick. And even now, we're beginning to realize, oh my gosh, I'm living in a reality that is different than what you paid for on the cross. And so I choose today to tear down those strongholds and uproot those lies. And I will exalt no one except Jesus Christ. I'm not going to exalt my problems or my fears or my anxieties or my struggles. But today I choose to exalt the one that has the power in his hands to break me free. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless.